0: Hello everyone and welcome to Motos and Friends, brought to you by the editors of Ultimate Motorcycling Magazine. My name is Arthur Coldwells. This week's podcast is brought to you by Yamaha Motorcycles and specifically Yamaha's YZF-R7. The R7 is a great supersport machine that perfectly balances real performance with rider comfort. Check it out at YamahaMotorsports.com or of course you can see it for yourself at your local Yamaha dealer. This podcast is also brought to you by the new state-of-the-art Shoeberth C5. The modular C5 is a lightweight flip-up design that blends safety with amazing quietness. Visit shoeberth.com for more information. This week in the first segment senior editor Nick De Sena talks to me about his take on Harley-Davidson's new low S. The Lowrider S is an aggressive, club-styled machine with real performance. (laughs) Just our kind of bike. In the second segment, I chat with Edward Lovett, founder and CEO of the global auto sales platform CollectingCars.com. Started in 2019, CollectingCars.com has now surpassed over $300 million in sales from its global audience. Well, that's all very impressive, I hear you say. But what's that got to do with motorcycles? Well, as we all know, a gearhead is a gearhead, and so moving into the motorcycle market was kind of inevitable. Indeed, the auction platform has now seen over 250 motorcycle sales, including a world record setting sales price on a Honda RC213VS that went to a collector for 175,000 pounds, that's just over 210,000 US dollars. Yes, I admit it, that bike is my all-time favorite motorcycle, simply the best bike I've ever ridden, and by quite a margin at that. So, on that note, from all of us here at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoy this episode. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of supersport machine. It's called Our World, and the Yamaha YZF R7 is your gateway. The YZF R7 bridges the gap between the entry level YZF R3 and the prestigious YZF R1 offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true Supersport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine, inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favorite Canyon curves. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours
1: so this is the third generation of the low rider s and if we roll back a few years this bike was actually launched in 2016 with the one of the, the last of the dyna um harley-davidson motorcycles and then it transitioned into the soft tail line uh, when that came out a couple of years ago so that is the monoshock design and now for 2022 it's received a we'll say a light update in terms of mechanical changes, but quite significant uh, overall. So to that end, we have additional shock travel, which is something that low rider s riders, owners, reviewers, and whatnot have asked for for quite a number of years now, and also the larger uh, Milwaukee 8 117 CI engine. And then there's some other you know, changes here and there. But that's the, the core of the, the mechanical updates that we're going to be talking about today.
0: Okay, well, starting with the engine, the fact that it's gone from gone to the 117, does that make a
1: noticeable difference? Yeah, yeah, I would say it, it's noticeable overall. You know, the thing to remember with all of the Milwaukee 8 iterations, you know, whether you're talking about the uh, uh, one, 104, 114, et cetera, et cetera, or, you know, back when the, the low rider s launched and it was still using the 110 uh, twin cam you know these these engines build on each other so they they have the same character we'll say it's still you know a very lovely american v-twin with tons and tons of low down torque really solid mid-range but with the milwaukee 8 engine it also carried that power up towards the rev line so where it just wouldn't sign off um, quite early as you know, twin can engines did. It's also much smoother. It's just a very powerful, meaty V-twin engine that really suits the personality of the Lowrider S which is sort of the blacked out, aggressive looking club style bike that it is. Um, With the 117, which formerly was exclusive to the CVO model lines, and now it is in the Street Glide and Road Glide ST, as well as the low rider st um you're getting an engine that makes a bit more power than than its uh siblings we'll say so to that end it makes something like 125 foot pounds of torque it's a claim to figure of course and uh you know as i mentioned before it just pulls through that entire rev rev range nice and smooth very tractable power delivery as well so it's really well mannered at low rpm just when you're kind of chugging along in the city or when you get on the gas and uh you know of course you don't have any uh, ride modes or anything like that to deal with it's just your very straightforward meat and potatoes style riding experience you know you kind of you kind of know what you're getting into right out of the gate so that's something that i really enjoy about it i see that the chassis is is obviously a soft tail at the
0: rear And it has sort of upside down forks at the front, so clearly it's it's fairly sporting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the biggest change with the Softail platform overall is um, uh, when when they did transition from Dyna uh, the Dyna Dyna frame with its dual shocks, and then went to the mono shock design that the Softails use. And when we say Softails, we mean the entire. family of soft tails. So that includes a number of different models. Um, It gained massive amounts of chassis rigidity and that's not an exaggeration at all. So it's lateral stiffness really increased and that allowed just the bikes overall, including the the low rider S to handle much better. So it's much stiffer in the corners, doesn't exhibit any flexing uh, to anywhere near the same degree that the Dynas once did it's also lighter in comparison, and the the mono shock design allows for more more suspension travel, and and because of that, it improves the ride quality as well. Um, this year, and we'll just get into the main change for this year as well. Um, it's it's gotten a bit of a a, uh, a longer stroke shock. So really, when you boil all the numbers down. It adds about an inch worth of shock travel in the rear <clears throat> it went from something like 3.4 to 4.4 inches so now that's a fairly respectable number. Especially when the low seat height having cruisers tend to compromise that that uh, rear suspension travel quite a bit to always have a, a very low slung motorcycle but 4.4 inches travel in the rear and. That's something that really translates to absorbing potholes much better. Uh, It actually improves the handling, kind of raises the bike up just a hair. That actually raises the center of gravity and allows you to flick the motorcycle left and right a little bit more ease and kind of use that weight to your advantage. Um, And, you know, in the front. Obviously we have that attractive upside down fork. That's something that you might associate with sportier motorcycles, traditional sport bikes and the like. Um, but realistically, that's the fork that came on the uh, 2016 iteration of the Lowrider S. Now there have been you know, some minor changes here and there, uh, but it's a cartridge style fork, non-adjustable. Um, and in this case, it uses a, uh, progressive spring so you know a lot of our listeners and readers will be familiar with that and that's just to give it um, some different characteristics as you move through the stroke it goes to essentially stiffer spring rates as you start compressing it now for my money i would say that the fork is a little bit on the softer side in that initial portion of the stroke so you can introduce a bit of uh, diving if you're super aggressive on the brakes so this bike does like a more, we'll say tempered hand on that brake lever, but overall the chassis, the handling, it's it's taken a big step forward with the soft tail platform that was introduced a couple of years ago or the the renewed soft tail platform, I should say. Um, and you know with this change here, that is that extra little whiff that we've sort of always been asking for as well. Right, and more in the sporting theme
0: again, it's got sort of you know twin discs up front and yet the front brake calipers are not radial mounted or or anything like that
1: yeah that's that's one of the advantages of a model like this and that's why it it appeals to more performance minded cruiser riders um the dual discs up front that obviously gives you a substantial amount of braking power over single disc disc cruisers Um, they are not radial unfortunately I, I think I would like to see a motorcycle in this price point and its weight uh, use radial-mounted calipers. That would just give it an extra amount of braking power, extra bite. But um, overall, with what we have, we still get steel-braided brake lines. Brake feel is more more than adequate. I actually think that it's, it's quite respectable in that regard. Um, braking power, same thing as well. Um, again and these are the same brakes that came came in 16 uh more or less so if you're familiar with the low rider s nothing has really changed in that regard um and then the rear brake setup you have a uh equally sizable rotor in the rear if i remember our spec sheet correctly i think that's um yeah it goes from 300 mil in the front to 292 but um You know, that rear brake really comes in handy for when you're kind of trailing through the canyons and just want to correct line or just low speed maneuvers and stuff like that. It's a good feel at both ends, more or less. Um, The only sort of uh, observation I would have on the brakes is that you have non adjustable ABS modes. Um, And you can get a little bit of lever pulsing or you're triggering the ABS if you're kind of really putting a hot pace down in the canyons or stuff like that. But it it doesn't necessarily curb braking power completely, like older ABS um, systems may have done. So there's no real complaint there. Um, it is just an observation. But yeah, braking performance definitely a step up from any of the single single rotor cruisers in the HD lineup. And that's that's really what appeals to the Dyna um, club style rider. is It's a more performance minded motorcycle. And that's what the soft tail low rider s was trying to appeal to, and now, with this iteration of the low rider s, I think they're really starting to hone in and although they already captured that that uh, buyer's attention, now it's really becoming much more focused by adding the suspension the brakes were already there, the fork is there, you know there's there's not much else that they can really ask for at this point, so
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. With all this, uh, all this performance, what's the ground clearance like on this? If the handling's pretty good, you're gonna gonna need some.
1: Uh, do you find yourself scraping the pegs all the time? Yeah, I mean, you still definitely scrape your pegs all the time, but the the ground clearance is more than adequate for again, you know, keeping a, a pretty healthy pace at uh, you know through some high speed corners and things like that. You do have to keep in mind that yes, you have mid controls. Um, that increases your ground clearance a little bit and then with the the suspension changes you get an additional 1.3 degrees of lean angle now cruisers in comparison to sport bikes adventure bikes you know much taller motorcycles don't have the same uh, maximum lean angle obviously but the fact is when you're riding at say say we'll say a spirited pace in the canyons it does more than uh, a respectable job of you know keeping up with the uh leather clad boys and you definitely could depending on your skill level but yeah you're going to be grinding foot pegs and that's kind of it's kind of part of the fun on the low rider s you just sort of <laughs> go into the corners and all right. those long foot pegs touch down and there's a a a fair amount of wiggle room before you were to actually start scraping true hard parts and really unloading the chassis and um, you know, risking a crash, but um, no, no. The low rider is kind of all about that. It's, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's sort of its thing. So I I would see foot pegs as a consumable product in the same way that tires and brake pads are.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's a, it's a great looking bike. I really like the the sort of the aggression in it the uh, the little fairing that it's got up at the front, just the little sort of a uh, wind shaper up at the front, hides that nice instrument pod. It's got a sort of a round instrument pod on it, which Percy, I much prefer over you know tank mounted instruments.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so that's when we go into sort of what what the iconic traits of the lowrider and uh, you know, dating back to its inception, the, the Lowrider and other models, for that matter, um, always had the tank console. So the tank console now has uh, uh, FXLRS badging on it, and they've moved where your gauges sit from the tank up to that single little um, uh, uh, analog and LCD dash that's handlebar mounted and it really leans into the the classic sort of fxr um, fxrp and and fxr uh, t sort of mickey mouse ear uh, analog clocks for me i know it's not a mickey mouse yeah, score, right. it's a single um oh, right it just so sort it's of rem- fits.
0: it's reminiscent of that for sure yeah i know yeah, what you mean
1: and it it fits with what this type of writer would want to do and you know the benefits of buying a low rider S over Building up an FXR or a Dyna, well, FXR dates back to the '80s, and then Dyna into the '90s, and carries all the way through. So um, you're dealing with a much newer motorcycle that will not require one one fiftieth of the um, <laughs> uh, you know performance upgrades to get it anywhere near what you'd expect as a modern consumer. But right. yeah, the the little analog clock with the LCD dash combo, um, the RPM gauge, super easy to read. It's an analog clock, like what, what more can you say about it? it? Has that hot rod styling to it? The LCD dash, uh, it's a little harder to read and that's just, I don't know if it's my poor eyesight or just uh, you know. <laughs> okay. in, in, the, in the direct sunlight, it's a little, visibility can be tough, but that is a comment that I'd extend to pretty much any single color old school L C D display. Um so that's not just a Harley specific thing. But moving the the gauges up from the fuel tank has a pretty pretty big benefit in the sense that you don't need to look down if you're wearing a full face helmet. And that's something that's always right. bugs me about any motorcycle with with a tank console essentially. Um, and particularly about the Lowrider S that featured um the tank tank gauges in 16 um, and right into uh, 2020 as well uh, 2019 one of the one of the two but um, <clears throat> yeah so that's that's a big um, departure from low rider at, or low rider in general and then there's also the pipes you know before um, sure. the low rider has always done the the two into one exhaust which if you get a performance exhaust, you know, from brands like Bassani or Thunderheader, et cetera, et cetera, that's still pretty prevalent. Um, and that's just the design that seems to work best, uh, for extracting power in, in this particular layout. But, um, you know, the Little Rider S uses those kind of dual shotgun, um, exhausts and it's, yeah, it's not true to form with the original Lowrider S and removing that that tank console is definitely stepping outside the lines. But at the same time, I I, I would argue one on a functional level, the the LC- analog L C D dash is just much more useful. And to be honest, I don't have much of an opinion about the shotgun exhaust. So I'll leave that to the, the pundits. But um, you know, sounds good when you're when you're on the boil, we'll say. Sure. I
0: like the pipes on it. I think it's impressive, the fact that this is, it's got to be Euro 4 compliant, maybe even Euro 5. And, and yet these pipes look pretty normal to me. I mean, you'd expect they, they haven't had to do, you know, the giant bread box that other brands have had to do underneath the engine or anything. It seems just from looking at the pictures as though the pipes just come down and go through these relatively slim mufflers at the end of it. I think it's quite impressive what they've done.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty direct, you know, uh, as far as just going straight back. That's something that uh, uh, I I would say is, is appealing just visually. Right. You know, the, the other thing to remember is, yeah, this is a Euro five compliant motorcycle. uh, As far as I understand it, keep in mind, we are in California and uh, not in Europe. So that's not entirely our forte, but yeah, these motorcycles are being sold in Europe listed as 2022 models. So you know, a massive American v twin, still air oil cooled, has not jumped over to the the water cooling um line as of yet. And uh that that probably will happen in the future. Nothing hard laid in stone about that, but it it's gonna become harder and harder for air-cooled engines to pass emission standards. But that's here nor there. If that's a topic for another day, but uh yeah. I guess the only thing that we haven't really touched on so far is um, the riding position. Okay.
0: I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, it's uh, it's got a really low seat height. I mean, pretty typical club uh, ergonomics on it, mid controls, raised bars. I mean, it looks nice. Again, looking from the pictures, it looks pretty comfortable. But what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, interestingly, the seat height isn't the lowest in the Harley family. Um, you're definitely going to find motorcycles... Uh, throughout the Harley Davidson range that are lower than this motorcycle's 28 inches. It's definitely, like you said, in that, uh, you know, clobber West Coast style motif. Solo seat. So, you know, passengers out of, you know, there are accessories to make that happen, but off the showroom floor, passengers are not going to be a a thing. So you're going to be doing it alone. And then you have the riser handlebars with mid controls. So the only sort of observation is sort of the, the same observations that we had with the low rider ST because these models are shared. They're essentially brothers and um, lower seat height, mid controls that can that can instigate a bit of knee bend. Um, for my 32 inch inseam and I stand at five foot 10 inches, I'm pretty much okay. I, I don't really have any complaints with a knee bend. If you're a taller individual, you might want to boost that seat height a little bit just to gap the distance between your foot peg and your seat and decrease that acute angle of your knees. Um, And then you have the riser handlebars. Puts you at a fairly comfy level. Um, I don't really feel like I'm reaching too far. Looking at the photos, it, it sort of does look like I'm reaching forward a bit. Thing is, you don't actually feel that way. Um, you know, the handlebars are nice and wide, so you can put in all sorts of input into the bike. Uh, you know, you have plenty of leverage and that little fly screen does provide a sort of a modicum of, of wind protection or wind deflection, we'll say, instead of wind protection, because you still do take it to the chest. It is essentially a naked bike and you have some wide handlebars, so you are kind of out in the wind. Uh, that is the one advantage over the, the lower low rider S when we go to the ST you have a nice sizable fairing to provide all sorts of wind protection, but you know, this is the classic performance cruiser style. So no fairing for this guy, but yeah, overall the riding position, I, I think it's pretty, pretty on, on point for the motorcycle and it's, it's vibe. Um, plus the mid controls just allow you to get a little bit more aggressive with your riding. You can distribute your weight through your legs a little bit easier instead of having forward controls which kind of just put you on your bum. So, um yeah, overall I'm I'm pretty happy with the riding position, but if you are a taller individual, you probably will want to think about a, a taller seat. Yeah, I can definitely see
0: that. I can see that from the from the pictures, you know that you know your feet on the on those controls are definitely raised, you know, fairly high, but again that kind of goes back to the whole ground clearance thing. I think you know, if an owner you know is uh, doesn't take that many corners if depending on where they live they're on straight roads most of the time they're probably going to fit forward controls to it or you know what have you and stretch themselves out a bit or if uh, if they take a lot of really aggressive corners they're going to want to you know maybe add a little bit of ground clearance in so anyway with all of these you know these various changes certainly the bigger motor how does that affect the the price on this is it, uh, is it a lot more expensive or, or not
1: yeah, it's gone up a, a bit over the years, kind of at, at every, every stage of its, its development, we'll say. So this third generation Lowrider S is now $18,349. And then you can also kick in another $450, and you'll get it in the gunship gray colorway. Very cool. Which is, if you want an example of that, just reference our Lowrider ST review, which features that particular color. Now, personally, the Lowrider S was launched in the vivid black, uh, per uh, Harley Davidson's description, <laughs> uh, with the, the sort of gold on black livery. And so you have the, the gold mag wheels and uh, gold trim and, and the old school drop H uh, Harley Davidson logo on the fuel tank. My opinion is that that's, that's the best representation of the Lowrider S, but that's here nor there. That's just me talking about my personal preferences for this bike um and you know uh, color doesn't really do anything to performance but as we all know this bike is faster so you know you know choose choose your poison wisely yeah, yeah I, I like the colorway and i agree with it i think the raven black
0: and i like the way the gold on it is a little understated it's not sort of you know crazy but uh yeah it's a really good looking bike it's um surprisingly inexpensive for a harley um i mean you know it's real easy to cross over that twenty thousand dollar dollar mark so i think the fact that they've priced it below that is is smart and it's going to allow people to do a little bit of customizing if they want so uh, all in all it seems like great value and a, just an awesome bike
1: yeah yeah it's You know, that's sort of the lowrider's charm is you already hit on it is customization. And for that matter, Harley Davidson as well, that's sort of built into the brand is buying it and then making it your own. Sure. The lowrider S speaks to a very particular customer that was already going in this direction already. So they're giving them a a nice solid foundation to work from. But yeah, you know, the only other thing is that this bike isn't uh, equipped with cruise control. It is a $259 option. It's a little interesting because the Lowrider low rider ST has cruise control, and there's definitely some irony in the fact that you're buying a cruiser that doesn't have cruise control, so you can't cruise on your cruiser while using cruise control. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, smartass. Okay.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, I think we're I think we're over cruising here. I mean, to me. This, like you say, I think you said it best when you called it a hot rod. This is uh this is an aggressive performance machine. Um, it looks the part and yeah, I think it's, I think it's cool. I think it looks great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that kind of sums up the lowrider S it's got that hot rod vibe, very old school, but it's introducing a lot of modern chassis techniques and design uh, elements that, that really elevate its game and that comes from the Softdale platform as a whole. And now with this, this uh, third generation Lowrider S really kind of takes it up to where we've kind of always wanted it. Um, right. And now where we go from here, we shall see. <laughs> but uh, for the next couple of years, I'm definitely happy about this.
0: For sure. Yep. I like it too. All right. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate uh, your insight as always. Um, it was uh, fascinating hearing about it.
1: Okay, cool.
0: 2022 is the 100th anniversary of shoeberth helmets, head protection technology made in Germany. The DOT version of the new C5 launches this June, and it offers a revised fit with customizable inner pads for comfort, increased ventilation with a new chin air intake and rear exhaust spoiler, increased safety with a new EPS material and anti-roll off system, And a locking mechanism to hold the chin bar open. It's also pre wired for the new SC2 communication system offering mesh by Senna. Learn more about the all new features at shoebirth.com. The new shoebirth C5 Endless Evolution. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of Supersport machine. It's called Our World. And the Yamaha YZFR7 is your gateway. Discover how the YZFR7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZFR7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. In this second segment, I chat with Edward Lovett founder and CEO of the global auto-sales platform CollectingCars.com. Started in 2019, CollectingCars.com has now surpassed over $300 million in sales from its global audience. Well, that's all very impressive, I hear you say, but what's that got to do with motorcycles? Well, as we all know, a gearhead is a gearhead, and so moving into the motorcycle market was kind of inevitable. Indeed, the auction platform has now seen over 250 motorcycle sales, including a world record setting sales price on a Honda RC213VS that went to a collector for 175,000 pounds. That's just over 210,000 US dollars. Yes, I admit it, that bike is my all-time favorite motorcycle, simply the best bike I've ever ridden, and by quite a margin at that. I'm Edward Lovett, and I'm founder and CEO of Collecting Cars. Okay. Yeah. So you're obviously crazy because there's a million car auction, <laughs> you know, spaces here. So what on earth got you to start this? I mean, Ooh. how how did that happen? So I, I've
2: been my family business uh, is in the UK in the West Country, and we've got 900 employees. And uh, a main dealers for Porsche, BMW, Ferrari, Jaguar Land Rover, Aston Martin, etc. And uh, I'd been in and out of that business most of my working life, and then I started travelling around the world uh, buying and selling classic cars, which is a great job. It gives you a lot of freedom, yeah. and you can you'd be very independent, and. I go to Pebble Beach every year for the the Concours and uh, watch the auctions and I always come away from these huge American auctions thinking how can they sell 500 cars in a weekend and it takes me you know a year by myself to sell (laughs) you know 30 or 40 cars and I'd obviously seen what was happening with bring a trailer in the in the US growing and and building momentum and when I came back to the UK uh, in August 2018 you know, I knew this just wasn't happening here, so I, I made right. an immediate decision and said, right, I'm, I'm going to get going. So.
0: Right. And you weren't tempted to, you know, buy another company or, you know, acquire something that already existed. You just thought no, it was just actually, easy No, quite, actually, quite,
2: quite the opposite. Whether I had the means to do that, I'm not sure, but, but, <laughs> but actually, we didn't. I think the thing about online auctions with what we do is it's so far from the traditional auction model that you, you don't want traditional auction people in your business. We want we we're a totally different approach, okay. And that's that's key to what we do. That's why there's there's not one single person that works for me that's ever come worked in an auction business in their life. Interesting, actually, in the car business. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that of course begs the question: What is it you're doing differently? I I think in general it's our approach. But you know, I'm not saying we're the only people that do it. But you know, we, we do a podcast as well, the Collecting Cars podcast. You know we use chris harris as the top gear presenter as our sort of social media face so he he's helped us hugely and we've got a lot of young talented people here that hustle very hard to get cars and motorbikes listed on our platform uh, and broadcasted to the world we've got over a hundred thousand registered users now um, from over a hundred different countries in the world you know we we are a a very easy to use platform right a traditional auction house you agree a reserve someone comes and photographs it you then send it off to an auction tent Uh, you hope it sells that weekend the auction house has sort of 30 to 90 days to pay you post auction for us the car stays or motorbike stays at home with you it gets listed we list it for seven
0: days sold paid for done easy as that really yeah so You know, uh, presumably you're selling like just, you know, two or three of these things a month or (laughs) so we we (laughs) say we sell uh, 400 odd lots a month we have sold
2: 250 motorbikes to date Uh, we sold about 350 million dollars worth of Automobiles over the last two and a half years. Wow, that's really
0: impressive. That is really impressive So how did you get into the motorcycle side of things? I mean, obviously you've got this huge history with cars, but the motorcycles that's impressive too. The, the so in for the UK
2: in particular that you know there's certainly no dedicated motorcycle auction house right. and when you start amassing car collectors and car nuts actually we're all interested in all things automotive so right. if you've got a ferrari in the garage it might be quite nice to have a ducati on the wall behind it <laughs> right. uh, and as kids you know I, I always used to have scramble bikes as, as kids so I, they sort of they go hand in hand we also have a watch business uh, because cars and watches go hand in hand right, as well, sure. um, and, but so we pens. we and pens <laughs> right. we, we we kind of stumbled into motorbikes. But as I say, 250 uh, sales later. It, it's actually quite an important part part of our business now. Right. And we had a dedicated auction a couple of weeks ago, Superbike Sunday, and we
0: had we sold 28 motorbikes on the day. Yeah, I remember that. That's that's interesting. So are you? Or just simply UK based or are you global? No, we're global. So
2: we have uh, this is our head office here in London, and then we have an office in Sydney, Munich, Stockholm, Abu Dhabi, um, wow. Amsterdam, Toronto, and soon to be New York as well.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's a lot to manage. It's a lot to manage, but we've lot.
2: got some good people working for us. <laughs> and, and, and you know we, we, as we were talking about earlier on, you know, working remotely, being able to do That's do this stuff online things, now, it's, it? it it makes life kind of easy yeah. for us,
0: or workable, should I say? Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say easy. No. How do you get into the sort of the motorcycle side of things with sort of experts? I mean, how do you know what you've got?
2: Well, I, the the experts are ultimately the buyers. We don't need to be the experts. We're here as advisors. You know, we, we sure. the, the the market's determined by what a buyer wants to pay. We can advise. Oh, you know, we, we sold a Desmodici the other day, uh, the, the bike was in Kuala Lumpur and we sold it to Australia. Now we have a view on what that bike's worth because we've sold a few of them, but every bike is worth a different amount of money depending on what market it's in, what mileage it's done, how many owners, has it been serviced, has it got all its original parts, etc. Right. Um, so as I say, the, the, the first thing is about establishing does the person actually want to sell the bike. And okay. does he want to put his trust in us? We advise them on where to set the reserve, and we put it out there in the marketplace and, okay. and, and, and let it go. Right, um, and it and it works. That are fundamentally the business model that we've created and the hundred thousand registered users means if you put a car or bike up for sale with us, even with no reserve, it's going to get its market value. Right, sure, yeah. And and we we've we achieved multiple world records over the last 12 months with with motorbikes as well, so it just shows that you know really? we don't we didn't start off as a motorbike platform but but we can do a good job sure. yeah in that space. We do have the domain names for collecting motorcycles or collecting motorbikes, which I'd be interested to know your opinion. Would you call it motorcycles
0: or motorbikes In America, probably motorcycles yeah. I mean we do you know you're probably asking the wrong guy despite as long as I've lived in America yeah I've still got the whole sort of English thing going on so I, I, I kind of still find myself having to translate okay and I keep referring to bikes and you know motorbikes and that kind of yeah stuff. Um, so that that's fine yeah with, with, with Americans but I would say motorcycles probably okay um, or even a, a lot of people now are just abbreviating it to motos, motos. Yeah. 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 Just, uh, actually the podcast is motos and friends. Okay. Fine. So, <laughs> I mean, if it was still in England, it might've been bikes and friends. Yeah. But, you know, but it's interesting.
2: What well, one thing we've, um, discovered, which I know it sort of sounds like an obvious thing, but you know, we think we speak the same language as Aussies. We, <laughs> think, we, we think we speak the same language as Americans, but, but we don't, you know, and that, not that, quite. That, no, exactly. Not, quite. not and, but but also just our, our general attitude towards things is, yeah. is different. And, and here in the UK, when motorcycles, motorbikes, does it really matter? Well, let's just put it out. But right. but actually, a decision like that <laughs> could make or break you. And yeah, you're right. when, when you're when you're trying to
0: gain traction in a new market. It's astonishing. It's astonishing. And. And it's funny how certain words just will not translate. I yeah. mean, when you're in America, do not try and order ranch dressing on your salad because they will not understand it. You have to say ranch. If you don't say ranch, you know, they'll give you a funny look. So, <laughs> so there's, definitely, there's definitely stuff that gets lost in translation. It's kind of interesting. But uh, I have to say, I love America. I love America. I love Americans and that's the friendliness and just... America has been very good to me. I, yeah, uh, I love America. So, so uh, what, yeah. So, what bikes do you own yourself? Um, actually, my main bike is a Gixxer 1000. Yeah. Um, but it's it's mainly uh, just track ready. Okay. Know, sort of. Uh, but to be perfectly honest with you, I actually don't own many motorcycles. Yeah. Because I don't need to. I mean, I, everything I ride is test bikes. But when you're on a bike, do you want to be on a race bike or are you do you want to be on a cruiser? I'd rather, I'm a sport bike guy. you are yeah, now actually I've owned three Harleys, yeah, and I love harleys. I mean actually they're really good I mean I mean they, they, they're great, um, so it's very impressive all this the, the stuff i'm very actually I, I, I would although I am definitely I, I bend towards sport bikes, I grew up on sport bikes, but I've always felt that there isn't a motorcycle that I don't like yeah, um, I, I love them all yeah. So gives um, you that feeling of freedom. Yeah, when you're it on really, a bike. it yeah. really does.
2: I have a Harley Davidson V Rod, which is nice. the, an anniversary bike that I bought in two thousand and three when they did the I think it was hundred and fiftieth anniversary of, of Harley Davidson at the time which I've still got now. I think it's done 2,800 miles since 2003, right. which is not very impressive, is it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Harley-Davidson in England, there's not that many Harleys. I mean, that's quite an interesting choice. Uh, no, Where I, I, you I just,
2: I, you know, it's actually the, the Harley-Davidson showroom is, uh, you know, Fredrick. 500 metres from here on what was on the King's Road. So sure. I, I, I went in and I saw this bike and I just thought it was beautiful. So I went and had a ride and I was like, Okay, this is cool. It's like it's like it's the motorbike equivalent of an AC Cobra, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and my as I say, my family are car car dealers, and Porsche has been a very important part of of, of my life. And Porsche
0: designed the engine for for that Harley sure. Davidson, yeah. Sure. Actually, it's quite an interesting statement that you make because nobody buys a motorcycle with their with their head yeah it's all bought with their heart yeah you look yeah, at it and it's absolutely beautiful and it speaks to you and and for no good reason on this earth that's why you buy it and i would imagine that's why a lot of these bikes sell so well and especially on your website no i think they're, they're,
2: they're all emotional purchases It's all know, emotional, so someone's yeah. probably come onto the site because they saw a bmw or a porsche or a ferrari for sale and they're like Hey, that's cool and yeah. the other interesting thing about bikes which is stating the obvious is you know they're a, a lot cheaper than a car so you know you to, and they get, take up a lot less space. they take a lot, a lot less space but if you're <laughs> if you're in the market for a two hundred thousand dollar ferrari and there's a Ducati that you can buy for fifteen thousand dollars it looks just as good right and it, and it goes a lot quicker but, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, you save yourself a lot of money and and get get just as much thrill if not more
0: right Right, I have to say the, the, the motorcycle I would sell everything for was your number one motorcycle. Yeah. Um, it was the, uh, the Honda RC213V. Fine. V, yes. which, which,
2: so that's one of the ones we got the world record for, which yeah. was in a crate, £175,000. We
0: sold that for you. Yeah. I'm sorry, if I owned it, I would be straight out of the crate. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually fortunate enough, I was one of the, the very few journalists, a handful of journalists, that got invited by Honda to ride that bike at Valencia, the yeah. MotoGP track in Valencia. Um, so when was that? Probably five years ago. Yeah. That we they literally they were only let us out one at a time on the tracks. So yeah. One bike going around this massive MotoGP track, but I got to ride this bike and it literally, for me, it changed my perception of how motorcycles work. And, and why is that? Because it felt there was almost. You could barely feel that there was anything underneath you. Um, In the morning, we had had several sessions where we rode the street version, which is basically what you sold, although I think you sold it with the race kit as well, didn't you? Um, In the afternoon, after lunch, they gave us the uncorked version with the race kit and and, and the full, you know, 214 horsepower and what have you, and it's real easy to talk about Well, you know, here's the specifications it puts out. This much horsepower, this much torque, and it weighs this much. And you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, so it's light and it's powerful. Great. That does not explain how it works. And all I can say is it's the only motorcycle I've ever ridden where I literally felt like anything is possible. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a particularly good rider. I'm a a competent guy. I've been riding for a long time. And, And I can get around a track decently enough. But this thing made me feel like... Well, if I lose the front, I'll just pull it back. You know, I can. I get why Mark Marquez rides the way he does. Yeah, because he's got that level of ability where, I guess, up until a couple of years ago, he must literally have felt invincible. Yeah, in it. Um, it does that to you. It. I pulled out of the pits and I'm and I'm weaving this thing and I'm like, there's nothing underneath me. I yeah. don't understand it. And I had this. Before I rode it, I, I was like, I'm not going to be fast enough to be able to ride this. I'm going to come up to a corner. I'm going to turn in at the conventional point, which is going to be too early. The bike's going to flop into the corner way too slow. I'm going to have to bring it upright, and I'm going to be going through the corner like this, You know, yeah. going up and down, up and down. It's going to be highly embarrassing. It was not. The bike rides the way you, simply the way you think, yeah. and it goes exactly where you think you want it to go. <laughs> and it was astonishing yeah and i was like this is i don't understand how this bike is working like this amazing and then after a couple of laps i'm like let's go yeah well, well for, though,
2: for those who I look think, at these things and wonder why they're 177 a pounds for someone with so much experience there we go that's there's I the
0: answer gotta tell you yeah th- that's cheap yeah. for what it is yeah that is if you're gonna mortgage your house and yeah. buy yourself a bike that's probably the one to do yeah. it so (laughs) so anyway I digress but yeah I'm not surprised it broke the record I mean I assume most of these are collectors and they they probably don't get to see yeah well someone buying that particular
2: bike that's in a crate that's very much gone to a collector and it will never come out of that crate it might might go onto a living room wall or something like that or or a man cave Uh, and these Desmodicis again you know people aren't riding these bikes at the moment and and the same with cars you know every next bike that comes out is you know the anti wheelie the traction control the ABS the systems are getting better and better and better so yeah a a bike that was amazing five years ago is probably not quite as good as a the bike today which has got all the latest gizmos on it that's going to look after you
0: yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's very true but the the thing about motorcycles, and I, I'm I'm not too much of a car guy. I don't. I mean, I can appreciate them, but I don't know much about them. But uh, the thing about a motorcycle is so visceral. Mm. I mean, you get to feel everything, and just moving your weight just a little bit in some direction really changes how everything works. Yeah. And I think I think that's kind of why we all ride. Yeah. Um, do you have a lot of you know sort of riding experience? I mean, you're V Rod. No,
2: no, no, not not. So I, I've never been. So I, I've raced cars, and I've always been in and out of cars. But I, I was I was on a scrambler bikers from a from a very young age, jumping okay. over any mound I could find, <laughs> falling <laughs> right. off, knocking myself out, and I. So yeah, that that was really as a kid. So my, you know, my father was. I had two or three bikes. So as I as I grew up getting bigger and bigger, so I had the Honda 50, <laughs> right. Honda 80, Honda 125. Um, and I, I've still got two of those bikes now, and I, I have very fond memories of them. And then I left my family business. I, so I started working my family business, left, and I came to London. Uh, and I inherited a, a small amount of money at the time from my grandmother. It might have been £10,000 or, or something like right. that. And I spent all of it. On the on the Harley Davidson V <laughs> right. and, and and I and I was and I was living in. Um, There's a guy with petrol yeah, in his veins. Yeah, and then I, and I was living obviously in central London at the time. So you know, to, to even think about having a race bike was just like, why would you? And this no. thing was yeah. so beautiful. And I would only ever drive uh, ride the bike in shorts and flip-flops and i pretty much only still do that now i think (laughs) i've actually spent more on batteries on that bike than i have (laughs) on the bike originally because i I leave it in the garage under my house in london i have to put a battery in every and you go start it and there's just a click yeah and then i've just found out actually it's not EULA's compliant so it's (laughs) we've got this ultra low emission zone in central london now so if i ride the bike out of my house i have to pay 14 pounds every day uh, just oh. just to ride it, just to ride it in london but but i never i i am I'm, I'm kind of i i drive quickly and and because i've raced sure. you know i want to get the most out of a car and right. i and I, for some reason i'm very i'm not a sensible person in many ways right but i was always sensible enough in my head to think i can't buy a race bike because i'll kill myself right uh, so i've never gone down the route of owning or wanting to own a race bike a really powerful um, motorcycle yeah but I'm yo-yoing now thinking maybe I do need to do that and I need to, <laughs> I, need to I need to understand what anti wheelie looks like and, <laughs> and traction control whether I do that on the racetrack or a road I don't know but I will buy myself when it, something when it soon. works
0: and you dial it in right it's nothing like it yeah it's awesome yeah 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 my
2: my, uh, my my father had a Ducati Senna um, oh, beautiful! We were we were Ducati dealers actually for for a while, and, uh, and my father's not a small person, so, but <laughs> and a, and the Ducati Nine One Six Senna was right. for a small Italian man. Uh, <laughs> right. So I remember him riding the home, the riding the bike home the first day, and I don't think he ever rode it again. He he just didn't fit
0: on the <laughs> right. fit on the bike probably. <laughs> right, so it ended up on the garage wall. It, yeah, pr- pretty right. much, yeah, pretty <laughs> <Okay>. much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So do, do you have a lot of sort of American clients?
2: So we have an office in L.A. We, we've decided to close that for the moment and, and now we're focused in Toronto and we're going to be in New York. One of the problems for yeah. us in L.A. at the moment is finding the right member of staff to run the business for us but then then nine hours time difference. So the time we have in the right. UK here to converse with them is very difficult. So sure. it'll be far easier for us in New York where there's a four hour time difference. So right. you know, if, if we're up early, they're up early. We, you know, we, we, we can talk a lot during the day. Okay. Um, but we, we, as I said, we've got 100,000 registered users. We've got 350,000 social followers. Uh, we've got about 20,000 uh, users in America at the moment and or in okay. North America and, and growing quickly and we, we've sold a lot of our big cars um, to, to the US and, and we sold multiple motorbikes now now to the US so we're okay. we're slowly so slowly you're definitely m- I mean it's a in. big big market and yeah
0: very varied tastes throughout the country I bet it is yeah um, so that it is it is very different but there's also Where's a the lot motorcycle of pl- capital of America Oh that's a really good question. I mean typically you would think that the sunbelt is is is, yeah. is going to be all the motorcycle the motorcycle guys but typically you know sort of on the east coast especially the southern states you know sort of Florida and what have you they tend to have straighter roads yeah. so they tend to have a different different taste in different kind of you know motorcycles you get a lot more you know drag type of motorcycle, sort of straight line type of stuff. I mean, there's a massive Hayabusa and, you know, um, ZX-14 kind of community yeah. over on, on the East Coast. Um, you know, it, more on the West Coast, you get obviously California has, has lots of corners, you know, yeah. motorcycle nirvana uh, yeah. when it comes to riding, you know, up in the mountains and what have you. So that you tend to get more more sort of sport bikes. Cruises are all over, I mean they yeah. are everywhere I mean Harleys are I don't know I'm at a guess I think they're probably about three times as many Harley's get sold as anything else in, the, in America yeah. I and mean, they are just absolutely massive but also I mean things are really changing a lot as well um, you know manufacturers are really backing out on the whole sport bike thing um, when I say sport bike, I mean the super sport type yeah they're yeah. really committed yeah you know back in the day you know, 15 years ago, Suzuki would sell, you know, 20,000 Gixxer 600s a month. Yeah, yeah. Um, those days have really kind of gone. Yeah, um, so, and have Suzuki replaced those sales with something else? Uh, I mean, yes, you know, um, I mean, ADV bikes certainly have been really, you know, growing a lot. Um, that's really probably in the last 15 years, certainly 10 years, ADV bikes are really started by BMW and the GS, but obviously the KTMs, and now a lot of middleweight KTMs. Um, But also, you're sort of starting to get a lot more of these kind of upright naked bikes. Yeah, Certainly a lot of the retro bikes, you know, the Kawasaki retro bikes, the Yamaha retro bikes. Those kind of things are very popular. Um, You know, a Ducati dealer told me many years ago that you know it's the sort of the the panigales that bring people in through the door but they typically end up will buy you know a monster or a Multistrada. yeah yeah you. you know that's what they'll actually end up riding
2: yeah. well i um, think you i, I guess for, for a lot of people depending on what you know if you're if you're buying a bike to have a quick thrill of a ride at the weekend but if actually this thing sits in the back of the garage and it's very rarely getting used right you're, you're probably more likely to go and use a gs 1200 bmw or yeah. as you say Multistrada. you can hop on it's a bit more sure. comfortable Put sure some panniers on it and go and do some shopping
0: or whatever sure. also <clears throat> motorcycles in America are very much um, I wouldn't say the luxury but it's much more sort of discretionary income kind yeah. of purchase there's not the massive amount of sort of commuters and that kind of stuff that you get in these in these other countries yeah I was very shocked when I first got to you know California I thought with this weather why isn't everybody riding a motorcycle yeah. I'd grown up grown up in London riding a motorcycle in all kinds of weather it was my sole form of transport when i was in my early 20s and my buddies so i I couldn't understand how everybody wasn't riding a motorcycle if you see some of the ways ways the car crashes happen in uh, california (laughs) you can understand why not everyone wants to be on a motorbike (laughs) that that is true that is true but um it's actually one of the only states where you can legally lane split yeah and the traffic in around los angeles is horrendous absolutely horrendous so I I actually still don't really get why there aren't more motorcycles. Yeah, no rides. to navigate your way around that traffic, yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. But you know, at at the end of the day, motorcycles are a discretionary spend. They're a, a luxury, they're weekend warriors. Um, and so a lot of a, a lot of motorcycle guys tend to have more than one. So as motorcycles have become more specialized, again when I was growing up, you had one bike and it did everything and it was your you know, your street bike, and if you did a, tra- a track day, it would be your track bike and it's your touring bike or yeah. whatever, you know, but, uh, but nowadays it's, they're so specialised. You've got one, you know, one of everything. So if you've, if you have a,
2: um, whether it's a Gixxer or a <laughs> Multistrada today and you want to sell it, where, where would you, where would the motorcycle community go to sell their motorbike today?
0: Cycle trader is probably the biggest thing out yeah. there. Um, Certainly when I've sold bikes cycle trader has been pretty effective. Yeah um, But I think in in your market um, If you've got something that's really collectible and, and a really interesting interesting machine you want to reach a Specialized kind of buyer. Yeah, um, and that's not to say that cycle trader wouldn't work But I like the idea of going to somebody like you that's got a reach into much more of a sort of luxury minded kind of kind of person who's going to look at something and look at it partially from an investment point of view and partially because they're simply going to have the disposable income to buy it and go you know what they're not going to really Go and judge, study the market. They're not, gonna, yeah. they're not going to. nickel and dime it too much. Yeah.
2: Curation is a really important thing to us. You know, I, I one of the another reason we started the business is because you go to, in the UK auto trader or piston heads or in, in the US Cars.com, You know these types right. of websites and right. I want a Porsche GT three, right, or a Ducati monster. Right and you go on to what's it, cycle trader right there's probably going to be a hundred monsters on there and <laughs> right. and, and they're all going to be red or black, and they're going to be between 2022 20, and 2017 and they're going to have between three thousand miles and six, thousand miles right but the prices vary hugely. Yes. they're obviously in different places around the country, some of them take apart exchange, some of them don't someone's got a nice guy on the end of the phone another one hasn't it actually it absorbs an awful lot of time up trying yeah. to find the right bike sometimes. Right. And for us, we, we're putting one bike in front of you. You know, there's not multiple bikes or, or multiple right. cars to make a decision. There's going to be one Porsche GT3 in silver ending on our website tonight, not right. six one six right. silver GT3s that confuses you. So that we, we think that allows the mind to be focused
0: of the bidders sure. at, at, at that time. Which sure. we, so we, we like that sort of curated and approach. There's a, And there's a certain amount of um, buyer comfort, I would imagine, just knowing that a reputable company like yours has actually um, sort of investigated the machine. And so if somebody's wiring large amounts of money around the world, they they know that there's no scam involved
2: yeah well no um, way
0: you if, if you're gonna scam you
2: probably want to go to eBay or something like that or Facebook well, marketplace. well that's exactly my point yeah and no, we, 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 we 90% of the time we send a photographer to someone's house you know we got right. 150 to 250 photos of every car or bike that we list right um, highly detailed so if, the, if we say there's no Scrapes on the fairings. You look at the photos. You can see there's no scrapes on the fairings. So right. that 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 detail and due diligence we do
0: go, right. goes a long way. Yeah. I, I'll bet. Yeah. Do, if if a buyer wants to ask you questions, is there a mechanism for doing that? They can ask us before, questions, or, or they, they can meeting. ask the seller a
2: question on the okay. au, on the auction listing. Um, and the the auctions last for seven days. So. If it is convenient, they can go and inspect the bike or send someone to inspect the
0: bike before right. they bid if they want to, yeah. Do you have uh, inspectors that you can
2: recommend? We,
0: we don't, and, and the
2: reason, but, well, we, we can probably recommend people, but we are a platform. We're an introductory sure. platform, so we're not here to get involved in the that part of the due diligence. We're here to answer questions, but you know, we, we're not here to inspect the bike our, ourselves necessarily, but we're here just to provide
0: as much information as possible. Right, but at the same time, obviously, you want to try and insulate the buyer as much as possible. You want to maximize the sale price for the seller, um, for obvious reasons. Um, But also, obviously, you want to try and help insulate that buyer from from making a mistake.
2: Yeah, no, ab- um, a- absolutely and we think the tools are in place there to prevent that happening, but yeah, you know the the, the the buyers have still got to use their own head yes. to to make their decision, ask the right questions, not not just buy a bike blind and wake up tomorrow morning and realize didn't I forgot to look at the location of the bike and it happens to be in <laughs> Taipei, and I'm in Cleveland, <laughs> Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Do you
0: um, help facilitate any of the shipping? Yeah, the shipping all, all we do. We have a
2: we have a relationship with Cars Europe, um, who have got a, who are a global shipping company for cars and motorbikes, okay. so that they can help ship. So um, bikes you and cars literally all.
0: can make this just a sort of a, a completely seamless process Absolutely, from yeah. start to finish. Yeah. So somebody, as long as they can, you know, wire the money in into the correct place. Yeah. Well, as I say, they're, they're, there's
2: 75 of us in total. We're, we're dotted all over the world in all the right time zones, so you know, if you're in Australia and you, buy, and you buy a bike off us, you're going to get a telephone call shortly after you've bought it. Congratulations. We're here to help you. Let us know what we can do if you need any movement. Um, they're also, you're also put in touch with the seller immediately as well, so you can right. converse with them, get yourself comfortable. Right. You know. Good. I would hope you know we've sold over seven and a half thousand vehicles now. So I, that's in, incredible in, two, in three years. Yeah, in three years. So that's impressive. We're doing something right to give people the comfort to come to come yeah. back. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Good for you. That's yeah. uh, that's really impressive. I mean, I have to say, I mean, even just looking around the office, I mean, this is a hive of activity, and it's, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people. Clearly, you know, beavering away, do, beavering away, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and
2: we've we've obviously got the Jubilee weekend this weekend in uh, in London, so we've got a four day weekend starting today, which which is going to be great for them, not so great for us and for business as we, <laughs> right. as, as we still have a business to run for the next uh, four days, whilst everyone's
0: drinking pims and eating scones. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, where's the where's the future for collecting cars? I mean, is it is it just sort of organic growth or is there some giant
2: trick you've got up your sleeve? No, I don't think that that there is an element of organic growth, um, but I think, so we are currently, so we have watchcollecting.com collecting cars, we might well segment Motorbikes away from cars, so collecting motorbikes, collecting motorcycles. Sure. We've got the domain names, we're ready to go, but we want to get to a critical. Collecting motors. Collecting motors. But we want to. Um, we need to get to a point with it where there's a, enough critical mass sure. to immediately go to a dedicated site because we don't right. want you to come on and see um, 12, 12 motorbikes for right. sale and that's it. You know, at the moment okay. you go onto our site, there's there'll be 400 and something lots. Available to see on something right. number plates, parts, motorbikes, cars, etc. Sure. There's a lot to, to look at, and right. and then we're also and um, this underlying technology that we've built to power these auctions. We are going to be launching Collecting com um, in the next twelve months. So this nice. is going to be the home of the global collector. Think art, wine, whiskey, furniture, premium listings. The same approach we take now. So wow. th- 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 there is, as I say, there's an element of organic growth, but as we move ourselves into different markets, this cross-selling is very important for us. So all of a sudden the bike guy that's learned to trust us, you know, he might buy a handbag for his wife or a case of wine or a piece of art or right. sell a car with us. Right. So we're going into different segments, which is gonna be a sort of a marketing strategy for us. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So if uh, one of our listeners want, has decided that, uh, that they want to sell, they've got some beautiful machine in their garage, yeah. it's time to, to let go, reluctantly, I'm sure. We're there to
2: help, so go on yeah. to collectingcars.com. Uh, okay. There's a sell button in the top corner of the website. Click that, fill out a form, and one of the team will call you immediately. Excellent. Simple as that. Sounds great. Yeah. All right. Good. Hey, thanks for, thanks for coming no on. No problem. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Nice to see you in London. <laughs> All right. <laughs>